Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. On the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. God is with us. Well, Merry Christmas this morning to you. It's an exciting week for all of us. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, just want to get something right up front before we uh, get to it. Um, and that is, many of you know Pastor Jeannie and Ron, the gentleman back in the sound booth back there. Everybody wave to Ron. They had a beautiful baby boy this week named Samuel Benjamin Marklin. That's right. He is a handsome fella. One of the cutest guys I've ever seen in my life. So if you would congratulate uh, Ron. We expected Jeannie to be here. Uh, but for some reason, she didn't show up. So anyway, but no, wish their family well. And um, it, we're excited about this little guy coming. What a great time to come, right? Right at Christmas. So uh, many of you know that this is the week where uh, you're going to be with people that you love so much. And you also realize it's the week there are people you don't want to be with very much. You know, you are already wondering about those in-laws or those parents or those siblings. One of your parents, maybe even your own kids. Like, you're already worried about seeing them when they show up. In fact, you'd be glad when the headlights are driving down the road, right? Um, but the truth is, is during the season, we often think this is a fun-filled season, but it is also a season for seven minutes that's filled with fear. You know this, right? Fear of being alone, fear of not having enough, fear of just trying to get through the holidays. Maybe you have fear of being afraid. Anybody else? I have fear of being afraid. I don't think anybody here likes being afraid. But if that's where you are today, we're glad that you're here. And the reason I'm glad you're here is because the truth is, if you find yourself filled with fear, my guess is you are asking this question. Who cares about me? Does anybody care about me? And often when we find ourselves in this place, we'll say, if there is a God, if God exists, does God care about me? And would he find me worthy of his time? Because it's in this time that I need his time. And I just wonder if God would find me worthy. And so we've been covering this series. And that's why I say you're coming at a perfect time. Because we've been going through this series called God is with us. And we've been saying is is the most important part of that conversation or that title. Because is is a state of being. And that God's state of being is not conditioned upon your circumstance, right? God's withness, his ability to be with you, his existence in this world, his existence throughout the cosmos and everything around us is not dependent upon your circumstance. And I think so often in our understanding of who God is, we think, we think that God being with us is based upon how we feel and how things are going around us. 
So today we're finishing up. We started an idea last week and I told you to come back this week because we're kind of finishing it up and we've done this whole nature theme. We've gone from the the valley to the wilderness. Last week we were in the storm and we talked about that and we'll be kind of covering quickly that over again if you missed. But let me just encourage you, if you have not caught this entire series, you can go online, you can catch our podcast and catch up while you're driving to work or whatever. So just don't fall asleep on the way to work. But anyway, would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, we do give thanks for this time. I pray that you would be in this next hour, or excuse me, 30 minutes, and um, I just pray that you would be with us as we discover your word and the truths you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week I was getting out of the shower, believe it or not, I do shower occasionally. I was getting out of the shower, and um, I reached for the towel that was hanging up on the curtain rack, and as I opened it, uh, through my water-soaked eyes, I noticed that there was something black and fuzzy that was coming right at me, and um, it looked like it had eight legs, and so I just decided that at this moment, I was going to pull it away from my face before I ate it, and I grabbed it with two fingers, and I held up my towel over the floor like this, because I thought it was a spider, and so I just dropped it. And in that moment, I don't know about you, but I hate spiders. I don't like spiders. I really can't stand snakes. They scare me to death. But I was so freaked out. I stood there like this, which felt like forever, but was probably just a few seconds. Felt like forever. I'm just standing there staring at it. And I noticed that when I dropped the towel, I mean, I'm just frozen in time because I was so scared. I noticed when I dropped the towel that this black thing shot across my floor far enough that I couldn't see it because my eyes were still wet and it was hard for me to see. So I walked out of the bathroom, grabbed the towel, came back in, and I walked up to this black, fuzzy, eight legged, scary, and you know what it is when, when, when you're trying to stare at something that you feel like it's going to jump at your face. It's pretty scary. And I looked at it, and it was a giant piece of lint. Yeah. Do you have lint in your life? Do, do you have things in your life that you make them out to be something, and then they end up turning out to be nothing at all? I mean, if you don't, let me just give you the example, because you know this is true. Just look at the weather app or the weather channel or watch the weather. You remember this? A few weeks ago, they said we were going to get like 13, 14, 20 inches of snow. You remember this? And people freak out. It's amazing what fear will do to people. They freak out. They run to the store. They cut you off in traffic. They get to the store. I go to Aldi, so you have to put a a quarter in, and they will just typically take the cart with the quarter already in it. You know, you jerk, you stole my cart. And they just take it, and they run in. They're running through people, running over people. Watch out. They take the last bottle of water, the last, you know, thing of water, and they just don't care what they're doing. They're just kind of... They're so afraid, and they're in such a hurry to get home of this huge storm. They're just rude to everybody around them. And then they get home, and you know they put their stuff away, and their cabinets are full anyway. Who knows why they went to the store? But maybe thinking we would be caught indoors for two, three, four weeks, you know, because it takes two days to melt 14 inches of snow. Anyway, they go outside, and one flake comes down, and they put on their goulashes. or I don't know what do you call them around here. I call them boots. Well, you call them goulashes? I don't know. But... I put on their boots, one snowflake comes down, and they're out there with a shovel. My neighborhood, I mean, it hasn't even snowed yet, and people are standing out there with their snowblowers and their shovels, and I'm like, my goodness, guys. And it's crazy because they were so afraid that the snow will pile up in such a way that they wouldn't be able to get out. And I just, you know, and you know how it goes. I woke up the next day, I look out the door, and it was a whopping less than one inch. You remember that day? Wow, how do you get that wrong? I mean, any other job, you can, I don't know how you can be wrong in your job and not get fired. But apparently they were. 
But it's amazing what fear will do to us. It's amazing how crazy we can act when we're afraid of something. But it is also interesting how when we have fear or when we have something like Lent in our lives, it will cause us to freeze up, to remain motionless and speechless. In fact, I know this to be true about fear, and this has been your experience, I'm sure, is that fear is often self-created but unsubstantiated. Right? Fear is often self-created and totally unsubstantiated. And if you were with us last week, you remember that Jesus warns us about this very kind of life. Anybody that's driven by fear, anybody that finds themselves in this storm, he warns them about this very thing. And here's what he said last week. He says, in life, there are things that will cause people to stumble. In other words, you can plan on it, you can count on it, you can mark it on the calendar. There will be things in life that will cause you to stumble. There will be people, there will be pain, there will be suffering. Jesus says, just count on it, which is really encouraging. I mean, thanks, Jesus. But then he, then he follows it up with this, and I love this part, and you should too. But woe to anyone. Woe to anyone through whom that stumbling may come. So if somebody causes you to stumble, here's what Jesus said. It would be better for them, and I love this, to be thrown into the what? The sea. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones, which by the way is you, these little ones, these little ones to stumble. Now, I sign up for this kind of Jesus. If you think about the people that are making your life horrible, when you think about the people in your life that tear you down or anybody that causes you to stumble, that causes you panic or fear, there's nothing more enticing about following a Savior who kicks people off the deep end into the ocean with a stone tied around their nose. I get excited about that. I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. I've got plenty of people I'd love to do that with. But then, Jesus says something so interesting after this. He says, so watch. You better watch out for, you better pay attention to you. Ouch. You remember this last week, we said, the problem you see is me. Jesus doesn't say, hey, anyone is not everyone in everything else. The anyone is you. You are the one who is the anyone. And here's the truth. You are the only one who creates limits in your life. The reason why your life is limited, the reason why you only have a certain experience and it feels average is because you are the one who creates those limits. In other words, what Jesus says, you are your own stumbling block. And often our greatest stumbling block when it comes to living life is this little word called fear. Now here's what's interesting. Fear isn't just something we experience in life, but fear is something that each of us deals with when it comes to faith. Now, some of you are in here and you say, I'm not subscribed to this God thing. I don't follow this Jesus thing. That's not all for me. I totally get you, but guess what? You still have a kind of fear in faith, and I'll, and I'll explain it. We, we all do. Here, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. The first group, there are some of you here today who are only here because your mom, your aunt, your sister begged you to come, and then they, they bribed you with dinner. They said, hey, if you go to church, I'll take you out for dinner. Or I'll make you a giant Christmas meal. There are others of you, right, who are dating somebody, boyfriend, girlfriend, and they said, I want you to come to church. And you said, well, I guess I want to keep dating you. And so you decided that you would go to church, and that's why you're here. Some of you are minors, and you really don't have a choice in the matter. They just, parents just woke up and said, you're going with us. There are some of you here today 
who don't, who are, who, who are, who don't want to be here, but you have to be here. And I will just say this to you. I've been in your shoes before of when you don't have to. And when you look at faith, you have, check this out, a fear of faith. And here's why. You've been around enough religious people, you've been around enough people who go to church or consider themselves faithful to realize when you look at their life, their life looks extremely limited. In fact, I would say this, that faith from the outside looking in, it looks limiting. And in your understanding of faith is, when if I sign up for it, it's going to be get me out of, don't get into, stay away from, and you probably shouldn't do. Right? That's what you sign up for if you decide to do this whole faith thing. And you've understood this to mean that if I decide to follow Jesus, then I won't be able to keep the job that I have. I won't be able to keep the friends that I have. I won't be able to date the person that I'm dating. In fact, the dreams and plans that I have for my own life, apparently God already has plans for them because some well-meaning Christian came up to you and said, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for God knows the plan. You, you know you've had people do this, right? And you're saying, your fear of faith is this. What? I don't even get to choose my own plan in life? There is no way that I want to follow this kind of God. And if you're here because you have to be, it's because you have a fear of faith. Now, then there's the other side of the coin, and this is where most of us would fit in. And that is we have a fear from faith. Some of you have a fear of faith. Others of us have fear from faith. And here's what I mean. We have learned over time what the group has already assumed the group ahead of us has already assumed. The group that's saying fear of or fear, fear of, that group, has already, we've already proven them right. That we live by this mantra when it comes to following Christ. Our whole mantra is get me out of. Say that with me now. Get me out of, right? Get me out of, get me out of. Get me out of my job because my boss cusses too much. Get me out of public schools because they're all just a bunch of potheads. Get me out of the friends that I currently have because they just have a bunch of bad habits and my little secret ones don't matter. But when we, we decide to, to follow Jesus, we immediately have this fear from and we pull out of everything because we think that being around things that are messy or wrong or problematic or dirty are things that we aren't supposed to be around. In fact, i got to be honest, as a pastor, this is what drives me nuts the most. And, and, and you've never put these expectations on me. But I just sense them or feel them. And that is, hey, pastor, uh, I get this, like, fear from faith, and that is we can't expect you to see you at or you shouldn't be around or you shouldn't be doing or you probably should. And what I feel like is often I feel limited, limited in the way I think I see God, experience God, and the way this whole faith thing is supposed to work out. And here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning, whether you have fear from or fear of, each of us feels limited to some degree. And the reason why that's so problematic for all of us is because the way you feel about faith is the way that you feel about God. If you feel limited in faith, then you think God is a limiting God and that he wants to confine you and box you and put you into this little space where you can stay safe forever and you don't want to be part of it. But then it's so interesting. Because after Jesus says what he says about kicking you off the edge of the cliff with a millstone tied around your neck, he follows that up with this important 
line. He says, if you have faith, and I love how he says, if you, because that's a conditional statement, which means if you is up to you, it's totally up to you. You can either choose what I just talked about. You can either choose to stumble through life and be fearful of everything, or, or if you choose, if you is up to you, if you choose to have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Be uprooted and planted where? What does Jesus say? Where does he say to be planted? In the sea. It's interesting that God gives us, Jesus gives us two completely different pictures of the sea. One is a person who is stumbling through life, and God says it would just be better for you to just jump into the deep end. But he says you can also choose a different kind of sea. Either way, you're going to end up in the sea. It's just a matter of which way you're going in. And he says you can be choose to be uprooted and planted in the sea. It is all in how you see the sea. You see And so I think if Jesus could sum this up after he gives us these pictures, it's almost like this giant question that faces us and faces his disciples. That's who he's talking to to begin with. He says, how do you see the sea? That would be an interesting question for me to ask your friends and your coworkers and people that you hang out with all the time. Hey, could you tell me how Janelle sees life? Can you tell me how Kara sees the world around her and the gift of life that God has given her. I would love to ask your coworkers and friends, and I'm sure you probably wouldn't want some of them to answer. And my question is, do, do you sound more like the first story where they say, you know what, they always look at life half empty, they always feel like they're limited, they're powerless, they can't make a difference, they're pretty apathetic. In fact, if that's the kind of faith that they follow, then I don't want to be a part of it. You know, is that what they would say about you? Or do they see the sea differently? I've, I've not shared this story with anybody publicly until this morning at our earlier service, but three years ago, uh, or a few years ago, I was in my ministry in Topeka. I shouldn't say that. Three years into my ministry in Topeka as a youth pastor, um, I was sort of being feeling discontented. And some people who are really spiritual would say, you were feeling called. Uh, not that spiritual, so I was just feeling discontented. And I remember my pastor, who, by the way, I gave a really hard time to last week, talking about his suit jacket. You guys remember this? Talking about his suit jackets, and he was a little bit older. Anyway, I gotta be honest, he was a great leader. I love Dr. Holmes. In fact, he was very influential in my life. In fact, he was very patient, very kind. He was a great leader. He was one of those people, when you're upset and mad at him, and then you walk into your, their office, and then you walk out, and you forgot why you walked in there in the first place. Like, you're like, why was I even mad? I don't remember. He was just that kind of guy. But one of the things I appreciate about him most is he was always willing to try something new. And he knew that I was ready to be done with youth, youth ministry. I was tired of students. I was, you know, I just finished my master's. I was ready to try something different. And so he had this conversation with me. He said, hey, what do you say? We, we want you to stick around. We want you on the team. Let's just dream together, which I love that. That's fun. And so he said, what would you like to do? You, somebody ever asked you this question? What would you like to do? I mean, if you could do anything, regardless of money, what would you do? And I said, well, I would love 
to plant a church on this side of town where I live. You know, you guys are on the west side. I would love to plant a church on the east side where I live. And I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, and so he obliged. And we were having conversations about church planting. And I let my family know. And I let my in-laws know. And some of you know my father-in-law lives around here. And so he said, hey, you're interested in church planting. I know this guy I want you to meet. He's a church planner as well. You could ask him lots of questions. And, you know, hey, it would be great for you guys to meet. So when you come back for vacation, drop the kids off. You can go meet with them, talk about church. So, so we did. I showed up in Illinois. I went down to Bigby Coffee, which is across from Olivet. Used to be, not anymore, because it's out of business. But I remember sitting there, and this gentleman named Larry McCain walks through the door. Some of you know Dr. McCain. He's my boss right now. And he walks through the door, and he sits down, and I have this whole list of questions that I want to ask him about church planning. But little did I know, he just starts firing questions at me. And it's like, hey, what's your greatest strong suit, and what is your greatest weakness? And like two minutes into this conversation, I'm like, this feels more like an interview than it does a conversation about church planning. In fact, he just came outright and said it. He said, I'm not interested in talking to you about planning churches in Kansas. I want to talk to you about a church in Joliet. And I looked at him, and I just said, hey, listen, man, uh, Janelle and I, we love where we are. We're not interested in your church. You know, it's his job to fill churches. We're not interested right now, not for us. We, we've got a great thing going in Kansas. We'll just, we'll just stay here. And of course, it's his job to fill this, this spot right here. And so he starts jabbing at me. He's like, well, you can't be a youth pastor forever. And how's the plan coming along in the church plant? And then he says to me, because he knows I love challenges. He said, by the way, just so you know, it has to be a unanimous vote by the board, which is a way of saying, I've met you and the chances are highly unlikely. That was a joke. Anyway. So I looked at him, and I remember I looked square in the eyes, and I said, and of course I didn't know he'd be my boss, and so you're, you're brave when they're not your boss, and I just said, hey, listen, I'll go interview at your little church, they'll all vote no, and then we'll go home and pretend like none of this ever happened. And so I got on a plane, filled out my resume, came back from vacation, came up here, interviewed with you guys, and here we are, right? It's a great story. You're like, what was the point of that? I'm not done yet. The next day, Janelle and I drove back up after the interview with, with the board. And, and we wanted to just kind of drive around town. We kind of wanted to get a feel for the city. And we really just wanted to pray and kind of sense God's discernment or if he was saying yes or no. And, and so we just came up here and it was kind of like this, a great Illinois, you know, cloudy day, except it was muggy and, you know, it was even worse. So, so we drive down and our entrance into Joliet was Cass Street. And we, we, we drove down Cass Street, and I remember just this sense. I just kept thinking to myself, you're not in Kansas anymore. You're not in Kansas anymore. And I had this feeling inside of me that just kept saying, this just doesn't feel right. There's something about this place that I don't feel comfortable with. And you could just look around, and you could see that it was sort of an urban setting, and we're not in Chicago, but we're close enough to Chicago to have a Chicago sort of feel, and and and. Joliet, you know, you could see the, the, the neediness around, and it's not the prettiest town, but I just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know about this. In fact, Joliet, just be honest, it's just, it's kind of an intimidating place. I mean, it's a tough place. This is for tough people, and I'm not tough at all. I am weak as it gets. So it's intimidating to me. I'm afraid of coming to Joliet, and I, I'm just, no, I'm not coming here. And did you know, 
who's riding in the seat next to me, thank God, is looking out the window, and she's staring at people, and I don't know if that's a good thing in Chicago to stare at people, but that's what she was doing, and she's looking out the window, and she says, this is it. And I looked over, and she still wasn't looking at me, and I'm like, hey, are we on, are we on the same wavelength? Are, are we on the same, are you looking at what I'm looking at? Because this is definitely not it. And she said, no, 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 listen. This looks like a place for hope. And she said, I think if Jesus did ministry anywhere, probably wouldn't be where we are now. But he would probably work, walk, and talk right here. She said, this is it. And that's why I say, it's all in how you see the sea. Because I'm sitting here saying, no way, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm speechless, I'm frozen, I'm afraid, I'm not doing this. And she's saying, no, 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 listen, 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 listen. She said, I will be uprooted. She didn't say this, but it is implied. I will be uprooted from the life that we currently have, this wonderful home, wonderful schools, a lot of good friends, a great church with a great pastor. Hey, we will be uprooted from this place, and we will plant ourselves in the midst of the sea. And you understand that the, the, the symbolism of this. In Jesus' day, the sea was this place where darkness and mystery, and you didn't go to the sea for fun or surfing or hanging out on the beach. You just went to get food, and that was it. This was a place you didn't hang out. And Chanel says, hey, this is where we're going to be planted. And little did I know that this would be an amazing opportunity because I saw the sea differently. I was afraid. And my guess is, if we're just honest, I probably would have stumbled through ministry. I probably would have out in Kansas. And what's so interesting is the disciples, the disciples, I love this, they see the sea differently, and this is the shift in their story. When you see the sea differently, this is the shift in your story. In fact, this is what changed it for us, and this is what changed it for them. The disciples up to this point... The disciples up to this point have yet, have yet to feel like they're doing something important. They've yet to feel like they can change the world. And in the middle of this statement, in the middle of these two different pictures of what the sea looks like, the disciples say this. Now, I've got to be honest. When I first read this, it was almost like this Tourette moments where they just, sometimes the disciples, I call them the disciples, and they just blurt out stuff, and they're like, increase our faith, you know? Like, they just say it. But the more I read it, I was like, no, 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 no. This was an intentional statement that changed their lives forever. They said, increase our faith. Do you know what increases faith? Come on, hang with me here real quick. We're almost done. Do you know what increases faith? More fear. That's encouraging. You know that the show Fear Factor, it wasn't founded in the 21st century. This was founded in the first century when the disciples stepped up and said, hey, listen, present us with more situations every day of our lives that we are placed in the middle of discomfort. 
Because the more we can be uncomfortable, the closer we get to this kingdom thing that Jesus keeps talking about. In fact, you know what, God? Increase our faith. Present us with people who will hurt us so we will have the faith to forgive them. Increase our faith. Present us with people who hate us so we will know what it looks like to love them. Increase my faith. Put me in the middle of pain and despair and brokenness and hurt so we will know what it's like to have faith to bring healing. In fact, God, you know what? Increase our faith by putting us around people who aren't perfect, who are dirty, who are sly, who are nasty, who are liars, so we will know what it's like to extend your mercy. Plant us. Uproot our lives and plant us in the center of your story. So here's what I want you to know today. And I've already said it, but how you see the sea is the shift in your story. I know that some of you sit here and you have fear from, you have fear of, you feel like you're limited in life. You may even have this view that God is here to box you in. But let me just say this. If you ask to be, if you have faith as small as, you will be planted. And look at the visual, the depth of roots going to the bottom of an ocean that then provides a tree that comes above it all. You were meant to thrive in life. And so here's my prayer for you. In fact, this is the challenge. How many of you already have New Year's resolutions? Come on now, anybody got new? All right, we got a lot of, okay, two or three of you. We have a lot of work to do. So let me help you out. Let me get you ahead of the game. You ready? I want you to pray today. And this, I want for you to make your prayer over the course of the next year. I just want you to pray. Lord, and even if you're not a praying person, and even if you don't believe God exists, I just want you to pray this prayer. Increase my faith. Do you know that typically our prayers are give me and get me out of, give me and get me out of. Come on, just think about all the prayers that you pray to God, even when you don't believe in God. God, give me this, get me out of this, get me into this, give me, give me this and get me out of this. Those are our prayers. But when you say, Lord, increase my faith, what you are saying is get me into And that's where it will change for you. Because you become part of a story that's larger than you. In fact, this is the beauty of the Christmas story. You wanna know why I follow God? You wanna know why I believe in Jesus? You wanna know why I've given my life to this? It's not because church people are always fun. I've given my life to this because I believe this God is different from any other God. This isn't a God who says, give me. He shows up with power and privilege and money and he doesn't show up in a palace, but rather he shows up in a little stable. He shows up in straw in a big old pile of manure with people who aren't considered to be people in their day. And then he finds himself as he grows up in front of enemies, in front of political leaders, in front of religious leaders. Jesus finds himself in front of some of the dirtiest, lowliest people on the face of the planet. And he says to them, he says to them, it's time to get into my story. 
You can either stumble through life, you can feel limited in life, or, or, or you can do something that I've created you to do. And I know this to be true. If you decide to get into the story, if you decide to get into the story, you will always live a life of risks rather than regrets. You will. And here's what I'll leave you with. When you decide to get into, God is with you. When you plant yourself in the center of something life-giving and driving and messy and discomforting and chaotic, God is with you when you get into the story. So, Merry Christmas.